All right, let's open up our Bibles. Uh, we're in our, our time this morning. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 63. We're going to pick up at verse 15, and we'll read through verse 4 of the next chapter, so 64. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can pick up a Bible over on the resource table. So we're at Isaiah chapter 63, uh, verse 15 into 64, verse 4. This is God's holy word. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirrings of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Let's pray. God, we come right now as, as we consider uh, Isaiah's words, uh, so many years ago to your people, we pray that you would give us divine light to see uh, ultimately how they are answered in Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right. Have you ever found yourself in a very desperate situation? Has there ever been that moment in time for you, maybe your family, where your only hope was God intervening. I think if we had time and we would go around, I think we could probably share personal story after personal story in our midst today of everybody testifying to those times where God stepped in. I remember even last year, I'm looking out at my father-in-law. He was on a vent, and it was not looking good. It, we were not optimistic most of the people we knew that went on a vent never came off the vent. And I remember us as a family, even as a church family, praying and pleading with God that he would step in. Other of you, you could share stories of financial ruins where you didn't know where the, the next bill was getting paid, where food was going to end up in the refrigerator, and yet God stepped in. Some of you can give an example of relationship turmoil and strife where it seemed like the relationship was broken beyond repair. There is no way this could be fixed and God stepped in. And what we see is the more desperate the situation, the more painfully we are aware that we can't fix the problem. It's in those moments where we reach a point where the only hope is to cry out for God to step in, to do something about it. And that's really at the heart of our time this morning in Isaiah. 
is that God stepped in. That divine intervention took place. So, so that's kind of our, in our brief time this morning, we're going to consider divine intervention. If you're taking notes, we're going to begin our time by looking at the need for divine intervention. We're going to see yet again in Isaiah, they are in desperate times. And desperate times require something outside of self to fix the desperate times. So we're going to see that. But then secondly, we're going to see the plead for divine intervention. That Isaiah, in his prayer, he, he cries out to God that he would intervene on behalf of his people. And then lastly, we're going to see the action of divine intervention. Because God answers this prayer he hears and he answers, and he answers it ultimately in Jesus. So, so let's begin as we consider the need for divine intervention. This is our fifth sermon in Isaiah this Christmas season. And we've seen kind of a pattern as we've been going through Isaiah. And what's the pattern? God's people are a mess. They're unfaithful. They're sinful. Uh, God judges, so there's a lot of discipline and judgment and warning going on. But every time that we have discussed this, there's always been a silver lining. There's always been hope. There's always been a, a positive in the midst of all of it, of a, of a suffering servant, of a, of a coming child, a, a conquering king. And that is true in this passage today. Well, as we see the need for divine intervention, I want us to first of all see that God's people are in disarray. God's people are in disarray. Read verse 15 to 16. He says, look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where your zeal and your might, where your zeal and your might, the stirrings of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are a father, though Abraham doesn't know us, and Israel doesn't acknowledge us. So, Lord, you are a father, a redeemer from them of old is your name. Then he goes down in verse 18. He says, your holy people had possession for a little while, but our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. So we start to see even in these verses that things are kind of a mess. Who here knows what a hoarder is? We might even have some hoarders in our midst. Some people raise their hand kind of, are you not going to call me out, are you? But if you don't know what a hoarder is, and there's extreme cases of it, you can, there's even TV shows and things that have shown, but somebody who just doesn't want to get rid of anything, so they might shop religiously and just, the house is just overwhelmed. Like if you were to walk in the living room, there's no couch because the couch has been consumed by whatever they're hoarding. Just kind of a, of a mess, right? This, this messy difficulty. And, 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 and what we see in our passage, what we see going on amongst God's people is it's that kind of a mess. Historically, what's going on so far in, in the book of Isaiah, the northern tribes have already been exiled. They've been taken captive by the Assyrians. And Isaiah not only is going to look at what's coming soon, the coming Babylonian captivity, but he's also looking beyond that, imagining when they get back from Babylon what it's going to be like, and it is a mess. 
And later we even see this in Ezra chapter 3 verse 12 when many of the priests and the Levites and the head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, so they had seen the temple before, they're back now in Ezra. And it says, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Now it's possible part of that weeping was celebration that God had had brought them back from exile. But I think a lot of the weeping is they see this shell of its former self. And what we see in, amongst God's people at this time is, is that's how life is. It's, it's a state of disarray. Uh, and it's because ultimately of their unfaithfulness. Isaiah chapter, uh, previous chapter, Isaiah 63.10. They rebelled and grieved his spirit. And then uh, a few verses later than what we just read in chapter 64. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So much so that even when he says that Abraham doesn't know us, Israel doesn't acknowledge us. It's the idea that they are not worthy to be a part of God's family is the language that he's speaking of. And I think what we see in all this is, man, God's people and God's people's lives are a mess. Can you relate? Can you relate? Can you see that this functionality of living in a fallen and broken world? Because that's, that's what we're supposed to see when we see chapters like this. Not to distance ourselves, that we can't relate, we can identify. No, we should see what's going on there and say, yes, 2,000 years later, or how many thousand, this is longer than 2,000 years. But you understand the point is, is we can relate. Life is a mess. Relationships can be a mess. Sickness this week was a mess. I was sick all week. Not the best week to be sick for holidays. Ryan's been sick. It's just, it's just a mess. You show up and it's like, and then it's like, okay, let's also have a blizzard in the midst of all this. And then we're trying to prepare for stuff. And I know people are sick. People are having a hard time travel, all that stuff. And it's just like, God, this is such a mess. And he's like, yes, this is a world that is fallen and broken in need of Christ. But it's not this that the people are in disarray. They are under discipline. That's the important thing to see. Look at verse 17. He says, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and, and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servant, the tribes of your heritage, your holy people held possession for a little while, yet our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. So the idea of looking back that the sanctuary has been destroyed, which will eventually happen. We have become like those who have, whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. You see, it's not just the circumstances that stink. It's what the circumstances represent. And what do they represent? That God is disciplining them. Now, no kid enjoys discipline, right? And we joke about this, but they don't. Like, my kids never say, hey, dad, you need to discipline us more. Yeah, one of my friend's kids actually said something that to their parent, and I love that kid. And they're like, game on, game on. You don't discipline us enough. We can figure that out. But when you're under discipline, even as a kid, it's not enjoyable, right? Not only is it not enjoyable, even if your parents have forgiven you, there's just something in the dynamics of the relationship that are now off. Because you know that maybe you've broken trust. Maybe you've done whatever, and it's just there's a weirdness that reconciliation's happening, healing's taking place, but it's going to take some time to undo what I did, and I'm under discipline. 
And that's kind of what's going on here with, with God's people. I mean, those are the questions he's asking. Ultimately, look at verse 16. Where, where is your zeal? Where's your might? The strings of your inner parts and your compassion? In other words, God, where are you? Where's, where's your love? Why are you distant with me? Psalm 42, 10 says, uh, adversaries are taunting me while they say all the day long, where is your God? And, and that's how he feels. And as you start seeing this with God's people, you start asking the question, is this broke beyond repair? I mean, imagine today you get home and your big gift is that really nice mirror. And five minutes into beholding your mirror, one of the kids throws another gift, shatters the mirror. Now, you can do your best to pick up all the pieces of the mirror, put it in a bag. There's nobody that's going to fix your mirror, right? Can you put the mirror back together? No, it's your hope is what to get a new mirror. And yet we, we see it in this, this idea of brokenness and, and, and disarray. And, and it, Pastor Andy, last night when we looked at Isaiah, he said, you know, remember the question, like, what are we bringing to the table? We're not bringing much to the table. Well, could God be disciplining you right now? Could part of your circumstances be the result of God teaching and working is their purpose in the pain. Because we see the need. We, need. we see the need right here that God needs to intervene. But not only that, we see the plead for divine intervention. Read verse uh, 1 of chapter 64 with me. He has a prayer that God's people would experience his presence. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence from of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. What's he asking for? He's asking for God to come down. That's important. It's an appropriate request in light of the circumstances. We see this need for divine intervention. So what should be the result? To, to pray for what? Divine intervention. Heaven forbid uh, you, 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 you have an accident at home and you severely cut open your leg, like badly, like an eight-inch gash, blood everywhere. Merry Christmas. Would it be kind of a ridiculous request to go get a Band-Aid? I can see your bone. I just need a Band-Aid. No, you're going to need to see something far more intricate than a Band-Aid. And I think what happens in our lives is we see this need for divine intervention and we try to fill it with human solutions, people, possessions, resources, all of these things. And see, Isaiah doesn't make that mistake as you and I make. What does he request? He sees a God-sized problem, so he goes to the God who can bring the solution. He's already asked him in verse 15, look down from heaven. Now he's saying, I, I need you to do better than that. I need you to come down from heaven. It's the idea that we need God. You and I 
need God. Paul had that idea, that concept. It really kind of was the center of his life, the foundation of his life. Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What was Paul's objective in life? I need God. I want to know God. Isaiah's prayer, of all the prayers that he could pray for God's people in exile, is we need you. Why are you crying out for God in these moments in life? That you need God. Friends, there is nothing you're going to go home and open. Even this kids, and, and, and I think I did some pretty good gift shopping as a dad. Nothing I'm giving my kids equates to what God can give us in himself. These are all trinkets. These are all uh, gifts that are going to pass away, that are going to break, that are going to be outgrown. But what we need more than anything is God. So he requests for God to come down. But he also, in the context, he's remembering that God came down. That's an important thing to see in all of this. Chapter 63, specifically, he references a lot to uh, the historical account of the Exodus. You see, and that's why God does things often in our life so that we will remember if he's done it in the past, he can do it in the present. 2 Corinthians 1.4, that's the principle. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to be, what? A comfort to others. Because we can look back and say, hey, God got me through this. God's going to get you through this. And what he ends up doing is he's reflecting. It's really kind of looking at a, a photo album of redemptive history. I mean, who here looks at pictures and is like, oh, I remember that time. We've done something with Shutterfly. So every so often I'll get an email and I'll say, this was five years ago. This was seven years ago. And you'll see these pictures and I'll, I'll see my kids who are much older now who are so little small peanuts. And, and I remember whatever the particular, I, I remember one was images of us out in our old house in the snow. It was one of those times where we had a ridiculous amount of snow and we were digging forts and everything. And I just remember those. And, and when we kind of look back at those images, it can be of an encouragement to us. And what we see uh, Isaiah doing is he's looking back and he's remembering Isaiah 63, 9. In all their affliction, listen to this, God's people, uh, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. You know what God is, Isaiah is ultimately asking in this passage for God to give them another exodus. For God to give them another, another deliverance. Even in the language here of, of the mountains quaking at your presence. Do you remember that happened in the wilderness? God's giving of the law that the, the mountains shook with God's presence. And he's saying, God, we need that again. We need that of you. We need you to hear our cries. Exodus 2.23 their cry for rescue came up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered. God saw. God knew. In essence, he's saying, God, you've intervened before. Will you do it again? Well, can you recall past deliverances by God? Past demonstrations that have given you hope in the moment? Because whatever you're going through today, if God was like that in the past, 
He's like that in the present, and he's going to be like that in the future. So we see the need, we see the plead, and then lastly, the action of divine intervention. How does this prayer get answered? First of all, uh, we look kind of moving forward in redemptive history that God answers. Uh, His prayer, I think, has its first real answer a little bit in the neighborhood of about 700 years. So this, Isaiah wrote this around in the 700s into the 600s. We don't know the exact time of, of everything, but it's not until God's people are under Roman rule, oppressed, many years of apparent silence by God that God answers the prayer. And we love that, right? We like waiting, right? We do. I mean, my kids are like, preach a long time today, Dad. Like, I don't want us to get home too early opening gifts. So, and I know your kids are probably thinking the same. Like, I hope Joe, Pastor Joe, this is like a long day. Like, we're going to do two sermons. Andy's actually ready. He's got a sermon afterwards. We felt like not enough people came last night, so we want you to hear that sermon again. No. And yet, they waited, and he did what? God came down. Is that what we celebrate this morning? That God came down, Matthew 122. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he will call his name, what is it? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. If God is with us, that means God came down. This isn't the same as the giving of the law, but I think it's a little bit more impressive. That God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That that God did what he did. So that prayer is that God would come down. And that prayer has been answered in the fact that Jesus came. But it's more than that. It's It's a deeper prayer that we need the presence of God. And guess what? That has fulfillment as believers. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with whom you have from God. So as I look out in this room and I see a bunch of professing believers, I can see evidence that God came down. That God's in our midst even right now. So he came down in his son. He came down right now in the fact that he is living and dwelling inside of those who are believers. Does this comfort you today that God has come down, that he is still here but it's also, as we consider God in history, we see the God of hope. And here's the, here's the big picture as we kind of think through this prayer. This prayer is not completely answered. Why is that? Because God hasn't finally came down. That second advent. You see, because even now, we still live in a hoarded world. You know, it's still a mess. I'm under no delusions that everybody's day-to-day is peachy. Even as Pastor Andy prayed. There are some of you that the holidays are the worst time of year. It's a constant remembrance of what you don't have. The people in your life that you don't have. The possessions you don't have. The positions you don't have. It it is difficult that you can't wait until the 26th or the 2nd of January. And just let's go on to the rest of the, so I can kind of distance myself from this. But here's the good news. If God came down. He is down. He's going to one day 
come down. And that gives us hope. I mean, that's the point of it. We, we can look at what he's done, is doing, and then it gives us hope about the future. Remember in the running world, nobody thought a four-minute mile could happen. And then once it's happened, there's been over like 1,500 people who have done it since then. It showed that it was possible. Now, that's a very man-centered view of something that could be done and now can be done because somebody accomplished it. But that's, that's the, the principle behind it is the idea that it's been done, it can continue to be done. And we look at what God has done. First Thessalonians 4.16 for the Lord himself will def, def, uh, send from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, that God is going to come down. And it's going to be more glorious than a baby. He's going to come back, ruling and reigning. So I have to ask you, what are you facing this Christmas season? Sickness? Disease? Broken relationships, finances, you, you, you know what's going on in your life. I have to ask, do you have hope? Where is your hope in the midst of all of this? Do you see that God comes down? I think life is filled with examples of people stepping in in the right time uh, when uh, it seemed like there was no hope. So on, I'll tell you a fun story, uh, December 23rd, so that was Thursday? Thursday. Right? Yeah, Thursday. Uh, I got a phone call from my daughter. She's in my house at 2.30 in the morning. Actually, she didn't call me because I didn't answer because I'm a good dad. Uh, my, my wife answered. She calls. Somebody's at her door. 2.30 in the morning. Like spectacular. So I, I'm so dis disoriented. I get up. I'm like, I walk downstairs. I get down there. Nobody's at the door. She had fallen asleep uh, at the couch. So uh, my first thing is like, all right, as I'm, I'm barely awake, ring cam, pull up the ring cam, and I watch the video. There's a woman at my door at 2.30. She comes up. She's carrying a pair of shoes. Maybe a lunch pail. My, I don't have the best ring cam. I have, a, I have like the good enough that you can tell it was a person was at the door, not like high def where I could tell like the age. She comes, she, she, she's there, then she walks up, she knocks for a little while, and then she starts trying to open my door. Like interesting. And, and then as she's trying to open the door, then she turns to the doorbell. She kind of looks at it. She starts pressing that for a little bit. She gives up. You can tell she's a little frustrated. <sighs> kind of has like a sigh and then walks away. So like I watch it and instantly I'm like, this isn't good. This lady has something wrong. Like she has dementia. Like there's something. She's, I, I'm, I'm, aged, I'm putting her in probably the late 60s and somewhere in the 70s age-wise. This was Thursday night. So actually, it was Friday morning. Do you remember what Friday morning was? The blizzard. So it's freezing cold. She's got a light jacket and a hat on. So like, I start to panic. So I, I go outside. I put my boots on, my shoes. I like, walk around. I don't see her. 
I, I tried to track her. That was the funny thing. I tried to track because I saw some snow. Because you see it in the movies. It seems really easy. I look and I'm like, oh, man, I'm not, I can't track her. Like, unless there's like giant marks. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I'm looking around. And I see everything. So immediately I call the police. I'm saying, I explain the situation. And they, um, yeah, they're, they're like, well, well, we'll send out a sheriff and, and check. So I, I waited for about five minutes. Um, finally, the sheriff comes. He's, he comes to my house. He's, he walks around. Part of me is like, I'm going to have a, a body behind my house in the morning. Uh, Merry Christmas Eve. And uh, nothing's there. And then all of a sudden, while he's talking to me, he's like, I've got her. She's down the street. He's like, I'll be back. So... Uh, so then I'm nosy, so I keep going outside. And down the street, about 10 doors down, is multiple cars and lights. And they're down there for a while. So I'm standing in my doorway, just, I can't let this go. At this point, like, sleep is gone. Like, I'm up for, like, yay, I'm up. It's 3.30 at this point. There's no world I'm falling back asleep. I see a woman walk by. She's not in a jacket. More my age walking that way. And I'm like, I don't think she's getting her steps in. So I open the door. I run out. I'm like, are you looking for somebody? And she just starts crying. She's like, my mother-in-law. And I was like, she's been here. She's down there. She's with the sheriff. And like she explained, they're, uh, they're from Buffalo. Or the, the mom is from, mother-in-law is from Buffalo. I think she's in a group home there. She somehow got out of the house. And she was found and they brought her back. And, I mean, that was one of those ones, if nobody answers the door, they don't realize that she's gone. The reality is the weather was bad enough. We're waking up somewhere in our neighborhood with a deceased elderly woman. And yet, ultimately, I would say God stepped in. God intervened. He used sheriffs and multiple families that got woken up in the middle of the night and even whatever woke her up to let her know that her mother-in-law was gone. And isn't that what we're celebrating today? Desperate situation, God stepping in. We used to sing this song, and I love the lyrics. When love came down to earth and made his home with men, the hopeless found a hope, the sinner found a friend. Not to the powerful, but to the poor he came. And humble, hungry hearts were satisfied again. What joy, what peace has come to us. What hope, what help, what love. Friends, that's what we're celebrating right now. God intervened. God came down. God's presence is here. He's coming back to set all things right. And Christmas is just a forecast and glimpse of things to come. That we have a God who doesn't just sit back idly. We have a God who does something about it. So I, I want to encourage you, whatever you have going on in your personal life, no matter how dire straits it is, no matter how difficult it is, we have the God who steps in. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we thank you, Lord, that you are not a detached God that you are not a God who just simply allows creation to go about its way and, and you'll meet up with us at the end. But no, you are active. 
and intimately involved. So we, we rejoice in that as we celebrate the birth of Christ today. We pray even now as we wrap up our time through song and then we go home and spend the day with family and friends that we would just be uh, constantly and pleasantly reminded that you came down. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we finish with song.